You are listening to episode number 46 of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. Y'all, I am stoked for this episode because I had the chance to interview Dr. Sarah Habibi. You may know her from Instagram as the Science Bay, but she is someone I have followed over there for a while now. And if you don't already, you will want to too after hearing this episode. Dr. Sarah Habibi is a molecular biologist, educator, digital content creator, and new mom to her son, Noah. She uses the power of social media to promote experimentation in STEAM and enhance student learning through her popular page, Science Bay, on both Instagram and TikTok. Sarah uses her four plus years of teaching and curriculum development experience, her Bachelor of Education degree, her PhD in molecular biology, and her Ontario certified teacher designation to make her teaching educational, accessible, and engaging. In this episode, she shares her journey from studying science education to then pursuing her PhD and eventually becoming a virtual science teacher with social media as her classroom. She tells us how we can incorporate STEM and STEAM into our secondary classrooms and how the demos and videos she creates on her page for primary students can be used as phenomena to engage the students in our secondary classes. If you are a parent, you will also be encouraged to hear her advice for engaging your own children in STEM at home, regardless of how little time you may have to do so. Her enthusiasm for teaching science is contagious. And I hope you leave hearing this episode inspired, just like I did when I finished interviewing her. So without further ado, let's get to my interview with Dr. Sarah Habibi. This is Secondary Science Simplified, a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I'm passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You're in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. And I'm just so thrilled that our babies you know, childcare and naps all aligned so that we could have this conversation. Yes, definitely. I'm excited to speak with you today. Okay. So for the people who listen to my podcast who may not be familiar with you, will you just introduce yourself and kind of let them know who you are and kind of your career history? Because that's the reason why I'm so excited to talk to you because you have such a unique path to where you are now. So I would love for you to tell my listeners about that. Totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I have a very interesting um, and unique career path, my journey and all of that. And so basically, I, I went to university for teaching and for science. And so I did like a combined major where I had my bachelor's of science and my bachelor's of education. And then near the end of that, um, something kind of shifted for me. And I decided, you know, I love teaching, but I think I want to do this at the at the university level. And so and I'm saying university, it's the I know in the States, you refer to it as college, right? Same thing. But that's that's post secondary is where I wanted to go. And so I went forward and entered into a master's program in science and then slowly or not slowly quickly that changed into a PhD. And so in the end, and actually during my PhD, I got a lot of teaching experience. I was teaching, I was supply teaching in elementary and secondary schools. Um, I mean, I kind of 
went past the point here, but while I was in my undergrad, I was had teaching experience in the secondary school classroom. And so I taught grade 10 science, I taught grade 11 biology, and um, that's that experience prior. And then when I was in my graduate studies, I taught at the local college. And here I was teaching biochemistry, I was teaching chemistry, general biology. And this is where I realized like I, I you know, my passion is still with teaching, but at the same time, I was also blogging on social media and I was teaching on social media. And so when it came time to graduate and I had all these years of teaching experience at the college and being a teaching assistant at the university, and at this point, I had already been creating, like doing curriculum development for some of the courses that I was TAing for. And at that point, I realized, well, it was 2020 um, or 2021, early 2021, we were heading into a risk session. The job market here in Canada was very limited. And so I thought I wasn't getting interviews. I wasn't getting jobs. I'm like, what is going on here? That's when I decided let's pursue this teaching on social media thing full time. It had worked up until then. And so I put all of my effort, all of my energy into that. And so now you could say I'm your TikTok or Instagram science teacher. And that's, that's where I am right now. I love that. And you're the very first doctor I've ever had on the podcast with a PhD. I have had an EDD doctor before, but I'm just so honored that you're here. And so you would say then that you didn't always necessarily plan to get your PhD. It just kind of, as you kept going through your, like you said, your post-secondary ed, you were like, wait, I want to keep studying and I want to keep growing in that degree program. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was in my fourth year of my undergrad and I had like a mini research project during that year. And that's where I fell in love with research and I fell in love with working as a scientist in a laboratory. And so I thought, let's keep doing this. And then maybe that will help with my um, my teaching goals later on. And so it definitely wasn't in the cards for me. I think when I started, I didn't even know what a PhD was. Um, and so to say that I have that today is pretty um, pretty surreal, but it all kind of worked out. Right. How long did the whole thing take for you? Like undergrad and PhD. Yeah. Yeah. So undergrad was four years and then a year for teacher for my teaching degree. And then my PhD was another four years, a um, little bit of time at the end because it was pandemic. And then so all together, almost 10 years. Yeah. Wow. That yeah. is amazing. And it's weird to think <laughs> it took that long, <laughs> but it's such an accomplishment. Okay. So then when you kind of transitioned to being like, I'm going to try to teach, continue to continue teaching on the internet because it was going well for you. Mm-hmm. What made you kind of zero in on? STEM specifically, Mm -hmm. because you Mm -hmm. clearly, you said like you were teaching college level biochem, gen bio, you had taught high school level, you know, biology, all these other things. What kind of made you kind of zoom in on STEM specifically? Yeah, well, I mean, my whole, I mean, my whole education, everything is in science and science falls within STEM. And I also love, um, I love the arts. I know we're going to talk about a bit about that later. I love math and not because I was necessarily very good at it, but I love how it always challenged me. And so I just feel as a woman in this field, there aren't a lot of female role models in STEM. And I felt that I was, I, I hope I had been doing a good job, um, you know, with representing women in STEM. And so I, that's what I zeroed in and that, that's all I really knew. I mean, I had grown up in a house with a dad who was a biology teacher, high school biology teacher. And so it was literally ingrained for, in me since I was like a little kid. And so it's easy to teach things that you love. And I honestly, I just love STEM. That's awesome. Okay. So why is it so important that we teach STEM to our 
children in our homes and our students and all of that. Tell us as the, I feel like you're a STEM influencer. Like you're like getting the people excited about STEM. So tell us why we should be. Yeah. Well, first off, I feel that a lot of kids and a lot of, you know, people in general are discouraged from STEM. They think, oh, that's just, you have to be really smart to do it. That's too hard. And so I'm trying to bring it to the forefront and show that it's really for everyone. I mean, STEM is around us all day, every day, whether you're outside and you're just taking a stroll um, in the grass. I mean, how that grass is growing, that's plant biology. If you're at your parents are at the gas station and they're filling the gas tank, I mean, that's STEM. And so STEM is really around us all day, every day. And so, you know, looking at the world in a different lens, that's what STEM gives you. I mean, looking at things, making observations, asking questions, and then finding out how to find answers to those questions. It's basically the scientific method. And that's, that's STEM. And so that's why I think it's so important to um, teach kids. But also, there's a lot of failure in STEM. And there's a lot like, in order for us to learn more as a society, we first have to fail and then you try new things. And so I think that aspect of failure is extremely important to teach kids because things aren't always going to be perfect all the time. And when you are integrated in STEM and you do experiments or you do labs in your classroom or you try little activities at home and they don't go well, and then you learn how to troubleshoot them and, you know, fix it and do it differently the next time, that's really where I think you're just you're turning into a lifelong learner and problem solver. And that's, that's really what it's all about for me. I, I failed a lot in my journey. And I think having all of that failure and persevering through it has really helped, just helped me along in my career goals and just life in general. Yeah. I love what you said. I feel I literally just wrote a blog post that's coming out soon about how we have to teach students that it's okay to make mistakes. And it's honestly like celebrated because that is, like you said, it's the nature of science at its core is like exploring things that we don't know the answer to. Thus we will mess up and we may not be right. And then how do we grow and learn from that? And so I love that you said that that's like the DNA of STEM because I feel like STEM and STEAM and even CER is this like new push. We've got to do CER. I'm like, haven't we all always been doing CER? Like, isn't that what science is, is claims and evidence and reasoning. But now we have like a name for it. And I know I told you, I have like a unique educational experience because I went to a magnet school and we had arts that you each, everyone majored in an art and I was in dance, but then you had your regular core classes. But so arts were integrated into them before steam was even like a thing. So Mm -hmm. I would love to know from your perspective first is like, do you, the distinction between STEM and STEAM, like, are we, I know that STEAM includes the arts, but like, are we using those interchangeably? Are we not? How are those different? And then what are your just opinions about children and students using arts and using science together? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great question. I mean, STEAM, first off, STEAM, STEM, I I try and use them interchangeably right now just because STEAM still isn't broadly accepted or understood. And so if I'm trying to get my stuff out or I'm trying to show that this is STEM, I'll use the, I'll use both variations just to show that it's still it's STEM. That's what we're talking about. And hopefully one day when STEAM is more broadly understood and accepted, then we can just use that. But I think there there's a hundred percent a place for the arts in sciences. I mean, arts is, 
arts is the the why and the how that's the what helps you think outside of the box like you need that to understand the why behind the science and so I definitely don't think that I mean I de- sorry I definitely do think that the arts do have a place in science and it's that creativity that is going to you know ultimately help you do even better as a scientist like myself I have I have a background in the arts and using that, you know, that, that critical mind, that thinking outside of the box, all of the creativity that I had, that's what I used to really, you know, get through the hard times in my PhD when I re- when a lab experiment would fail. And I'm like, all right, or even in the classroom when something fails, all right, how do we navigate this? That how is really to me, that's the arts. And so, um, and then the communication aspect of it too, the communication aspect, I believe comes from having, you know, having the arts involved. And so as a science communicator, STEM influencer, content creator online, I have to be able to communicate my science, my STEM. And you do that through storytelling. And I feel like I get that because of my creative side that I have for my background in the arts. And so there's definitely a place for it. And I think it needs to be encouraged more and pushed more in classrooms. Yeah. I'm thinking about the students I've had that are so artistically minded. And so they walk into my classroom and they can immediately shut down because they just think science isn't my thing. Mm -hmm. But I love how you said, if you are artistic, that actually goes right along with it because you are, if you're an artistic, creative person, you're accustomed to thinking outside the box. And that's exactly what we need in science. Exactly. I've never thought of it that way. That's really cool. So what would you say? Okay. What would you say for incorporating STEM or STEAM into a subject like biology that's not, I'm thinking for biology is not traditionally lending itself to the math components of that, or maybe even to the technology components or the engineering components, like a physical science or a chemistry based science subject Mm -hmm. would do? What would kind of be your thoughts on how do my life science teachers who are listening to this Mm -hmm. integrate STEM and STEAM into what we're doing? Yeah, well, I mean, in biology, first of all, like biology, a lot of it, um, a lot that they learn in high school is processes. And so whether it's processes in the body, um, and enzymatic processes, metabolism, all of these different things, um, or even just like the parts of the cell, for example, these are the areas where you can challenge your students to think outside of the box and create stories for understanding how those processes not only work by themselves, but also how they are interconnected with every other process in our body. I mean, biology, it's all connected, all of it. And so everything, everything works with each other and might work with five different things or whatever. And so when it comes to, for example, the parts of the cell, I love this example because when you're teaching the parts of the cell, okay, yeah, there's, you know, the endoplasm reticulum, there's the proteins, there's the ribosomes, there's all of these different components. And the whole purpose of how all of these parts of a cell work is that they're trying to create proteins, they're trying to make proteins, and they're trying to ship them outside of the cell. And so how can we relate that to something in the real world? And I love relating it or getting my students to relate to it, because this is something that I actually did as a project when I was in high school is relating it to, for example, a bicycle factory. So those bicycles, those are that's our end product. That's the protein that we're trying to make. And then something has to actually make that bicycle. And so those are the machines that are making it. And those are our ribosomes. But those those machines, they have to be on a conveyor belt. They have to pass those bikes along. And that conveyor belt is our endoplasmic reticulum. And so you can see where I'm going with here. Like they're all interconnected and having your students really think outside of the box and create a story around what they are learning in the classroom 
And I love telling this one because this is something that I still remember to this day. Of course, I went further in STEM and I, um, with my education, but this is an example that I will always remember. And it's because I really had to think out there and relate it to real life and think outside of the box. And that's that artistic side. And so those are going to be the assignments or the activities or the components of your class that are going to stick with students moving forward rather than just memorizing them to match them on a test or an assessment. You're so right. And I love what you said about proteins because I have certain refrains. I like to say that I always said in my class, like over and over again, like in anatomy form dictates function. I'm always saying that, which applies biology too. But in biology, I am like proteins are everything like which I love your name is science Bay, but when Bay became a thing before anything else or before anyone else, I had a literal sign that was like proteins are Bay. Like they are <laughs> it. I love that they are. <laughs> and so I love that you mentioned that about proteins. I remember learning about the cell in high school and just being like, okay, they all do these things to keep me alive. But like, no, the main thing is they're making proteins and then proteins literally do everything like proteins are Bay. But I love what you said too, about thinking about it like a factory and thinking about the efficiency of the cell, like how that is like, it's engineering at the core to think how efficiently the body is working and putting all these things together to make proteins and to, you know, create life. So I love that connection that you gave. And then, so you mentioned what you're doing, like social media being your classroom and how you're Mm -hmm. explaining these things. How has that been with pandemic teaching? I mean, there's a lot of teachers now post pandemic, if you can, you know, I'm always afraid to say post pandemic, because I'm like, is it going to come back? I know, but post pandemic, there are a lot of teachers that are still teaching virtually or, you know, they're teaching asynchronously. So tell us about it's like to be a virtual teacher, to be teaching on social media and that be your classroom right now instead of a traditional classroom. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally love it. I love being able to connect with such a diverse audience. I mean, I have people here in North America. I have people in Europe. I have people in India and China. Like I have people all over the world learning. And the best part is it's a STEM, it's a science that's bringing people together. And so it's, for me, it's really interesting because I find that I'm, I'm becoming more of a, I don't know, a worldly teacher in what I'm learning because I'll teach something and somebody will leave a comment and it's more catered to the boards, the country or the climate that they live in. And so then I'm also learning from them, which is to me, I mean, I love learning. I I love teaching. And so that's a really fun aspect for me because then I can also start taking into like, into account, like geographical areas that I might, that might be different than what I'm going to talk about. And so for example, this week, I'm going to be posting about why the leaves change color during the fall. And then I thought about it. I was like, well, this is a very niche, like North American thing. And I mean, very like Canadian and like Northern United States something that happens during the seasons. There are countries that don't have seasons, don't have trees with these types of leaves. And so really thinking about how to cater my teaching to um, really cover all of the audience members that may be tuning in. So I personally, I love it. I mean, there's a lot that comes with it, but it allows me to really use my creative side, get fun, like have fun with video editing, edit really fun videos, and just really teach what I want to teach, what interests me. I don't have to teach anything that isn't exciting to me because there's no one telling me, oh, you have to teach this. I just get to teach what I want. Totally. I People ask me all the time if I'll be back in the classroom full time once my kids are you know, all school age. And I tell them I would love to, like, I miss high schoolers so much. And I miss having like a live classroom, if you will. But 
I love being able to teach and do what I want. And I'm like, I just need to, I would love to teach again, but I want to be somewhere where there's not the EOC exam that like I'm having to teach to or some other standardized test or whatever, which I know seems really unrealistic, but my youngest is only six months. So I'm like, maybe by the time he's in kindergarten, that's four and a half years, education will change enough that teachers will have more flexibility to teach what they want. Like you said, and you know, get, get their students excited about the things they get to learn about. Cause I love your enthusiasm for everything you teach on. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I really hope, I think that's the direction education is going. And so we'll see how it transforms in the next like 10, 20 years. Right. Okay. So tell me what advice, since I specifically, you know, this podcast is specifically for secondary teachers, what kind of advice would you have for them with integrating STEM and STEAM since they're teaching older students? And especially I know Canada does it different than the United States, but like, I know in your upper level classes, they do start specializing more. Like they're going to take like a chemistry class, not just like grade 10 science or whatever. So kind of what would be your advice for us secondary teachers who are getting really narrow in what we're teaching, but we still want to be able to incorporate STEM and STEAM? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, so for example, a lot of the activities, the STEM activities that I do on social media, they may seem very primary and that's because that's the audience I'm trying to teach to. But for example, this past week, I posted something about leaf chromatography and it was really just to show the really fun pigments that come out of a leaf, but you could actually take that activity. It could be a really fun demo that you could do in an upper year chemistry class. And then you could actually talk about, okay, the size, the weight of the molecule, what's the process of them actually coming out of the leaves. Or you could also be talking about photosynthesis and chlorophyll as a pigment and that's upper, upper year biology. And so there's so many other aspects, deeper aspects that you could teach about. Um, I, today, actually, I just posted apple oxidation. And so how to stop apples from turning brown. Again, may look very primary, but, and it's a really easy activity you could do, but that can go all the way into like redox reactions and upper year chemistry. We can talk about the actual enzymatic process in biology of what is happening in the apple to make it turn brown. And it is an enzymatic process. And then going into more of that plant biology and upper year sciences. And so there's always more that you can learn from it. So you could do these really fun and, you know, might seem easy activities, but then you get into the nitty gritty of like the deep science of what's happening. And so that for me is a really easy way to integrate these like STEM activities, STEAM activities into a secondary school classroom. I love that. And I want to encourage every person listening. I'm going to link in the show notes and share on social media, but you have to follow Sarah on social media because exactly like you said, the things that you're doing, even if they are geared more towards, you know, primary age students, they're the perfect like phenomenon to use then in your class. Like use this as your demo, use this as your intro, use this as your engaging content. Like I think all the time that the questions that my four-year-old asked me those are the exact same things that I teach about in, on a high school level to my high school students, but I'm just simplifying it for him. But those things translate. So I'm constantly getting asked from teachers who are in NGSS schools, which I don't think that's in Canada. I think it's just in there. No, but I know next generation science. Standards. Right. Yeah. So, you know, but it's a lot about phenomenon based teaching. Yeah. And so people are always looking for more ideas and I want to point them like everyone needs to follow you because you have such great examples and you simplify the things down which is helpful, especially for a new teacher that's a little nervous about some of the content, you're simplifying Mm -hmm. it down and then it can still be expanded later. So everyone needs to check out her Instagram because it's going to give you so many good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So now though, as a parent of tiny humans, 
who loves following your channel for that purpose, I would love to know, like, how can parents who are listening, because a lot of teachers are also parents, how can they incorporate STEM at home with their kids in a way that's not overwhelming, especially like teachers or other people who are working full time and then they're coming home? Like, how can we bring in that STEM aspect when we may not have a full morning to do a fun activity that we would love to do with our kids because we're working and then we're home mm-hmm. at night and on the weekend. So mm-hmm. how can we bring in more STEM? So, I mean, there's, there's two ways. One, one of the ways I think uh, easy, like quick way is getting your children to ask questions about what they're seeing in the house. So maybe you're washing dishes and um, they're in the kitchen with you or um, you're cooking an egg on the stove. Like you can try and talk about, and these are some things that I talk about in activities, but also on my page, you can talk to them about, all right, so this is how soap works. This is how it actually cleans the dirt off of our plates. And those are really easy ways to get them interested and get them excited about STEM, but it doesn't take like, like you said, a whole morning to, um, to do. But if you do have a bit more time, a lot of the activities that I share on, they're all, they all use household items. You don't need to go out and buy any fancy equipment, any fancy items. They're all things that you can commonly find in your kitchen or your laundry room, um, your cleaning supply closet. And what I do is I do these activities online, but I also on my newsletter every week, I send out full activity sheets that you can print out or you can download them on your kid's iPad and they can write on them and they can actually follow along and like do an activity. So say you don't know what to do with them Saturday morning or like Sunday morning, you're going to have these activity sheets every week, different ones. They're usually seasonal right now. There's like a fall theme and you can just, you can um, do them with your kids. And that's, you know, very low cost, low effort for you because they're already made, they're fun colors, they're engaging for kids. And so, and they're free. And so those are two different ways that you can try and integrate it more in your house. I love that. I love that you send those out and I'll be sure to link in the show notes, how everyone can join your list so that they can Mm -hmm. access that. And I love what you said too, about just having the conversations and asking the questions. I am one of my friends challenged me to do that because we spend so much time in the car now, you know, driving Mm. to kids activities. This is the first year that my kids have dance or flag football or whatever. And so trying to set, use that time instead of listening to, you know, Coca Melon on repeat until my eardrums fall out, using that time to ask questions like, Oh, look, you know, look at how the leaves are changing. Like you said, or where we are, the marsh grass, it stays mm-hmm. green for so much longer before it turns brown than some of the other trees. So talking about that, I think that's, yeah. I love that low maintenance idea. So it's not, mm-hmm. don't feel like you're adding onto your plate. Go ahead and use the time you're already talking with them and totally. bring in the science. I yeah. Love bring in the science. Well, Sarah, it has been a delight to have you. And before I let you go, there's one question I like to ask everyone who's a podcast guest for me. And so I would love for you to share just one way that you have simplified your life recently. And it can be like a life hack, a tool, a rhythm you've implemented, something you're starting to say no to. It -hmm. can really be anything. It doesn't even have to be teaching related or science related at all. But because this is the Secondary Science Simplified podcast, I'm like, let's end with a practical simplified note. So what is one way that you're simplifying your life right now? So a way that I'm simplifying my life right now is learning how to say no, but not only just learning how to say no, learning how to say no and not feel bad about it. Mm, Because I want to say yes to everything. I've always said yes to everything. And I still probably say yes to more things that I need to. But at the end of the day, 
your, your mental health, your family life, all of that comes first. And oftentimes if somebody's asking to do something, they usually are asking a few people or they have other options. And so you saying no is not, it may affect you more than the actual person that you're saying no to, to them. And it's like, all right, they go to the next person, but to you, you're like, no, should I, should I not? And you're like, it's, it's this whole stressful process. And so I've really learned, especially after having my son and having even less time to do things, just saying no and like owning that and feeling confident in my choice and knowing that like, I'm doing what's best to meet for me, my family, and like just our life in general. I love that. I feel like I'm always quick to feel like I have to say yes or no too. And it's like, you can say, you know, it's a no for now, but if I think I'm going to think on it and like, if, you know, things change, mm-hmm. I'll circle back. I think, of course, I think you're really right. I think we, it's so easy to center everything and then feel guilty, but you know, you're, op- if you say no, you're opening the opportunity for someone else to say yes to whatever it is. Exactly. And I'm glad you said yes to me. So of I'm course, I'm going to nod. I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> you're one of those people that you, when I did, I made a list of people I wanted to talk to you and you were one of the first people. And I was like, I just think you would bring something so different to the podcast. So I'm just really grateful for you taking the time to be here and of share course. your expertise. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Sarah as much as I did. If you have questions for her, you can DM her on Instagram at Science Bay, and you can also head to the show notes at itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash episode 46 for all of the links that she mentioned and to make sure you join her list as well. Also, just a quick reminder before I let you go to submit your questions for our 50th episode of the Secondary Science Simplified Podcast. The theme of the episode is ask me anything. So you can literally ask me anything as long as you get your questions into me by Tuesday, November 8th. You can submit those by DMing me on Instagram at it's not rocket science, or you can email me at Rebecca at it's not rocket science classroom.com and just put in the subject line question for episode 50. And that way I make sure I won't miss it. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.